0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Amen. All right. Well, open, if you would, please, this evening to the book of Colossians, and we will get right into the passage tonight. Um, If you remember, what, what are some of the things, if you'll remember, that are facing the church at Colossae? What are some of the challenges that they are facing at the church at Colossae? I'll tell you, false teaching. Uh, and isn't it interesting uh, how often you find uh, false teaching? I mean, so many of the New Testament churches, I mean, right away, false teaching started uh, leaking in and sneaking in. And it's something that we still have to combat today. We've got just not everything carrying a Bible and a smile uh, is necessarily of God. You've got to be careful and mindful of uh, of, what the, uh, of what people are teaching. And so, um, but just, just to recap a little bit, uh, I think, remember the emphasis is the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I feel like basically, I was thinking about a way to recap what we've talked about so far. The way to keep from turning away from Christ, or from letting other beliefs that diminish Jesus, um, is to remember who He is and what He's done for us. Just exalting Christ, making much of Christ. Uh, This is something that literally we need to learn on a very practical level. This, yes, churches and preachers and teachers should make much of Christ and exalt Christ and You know, that's something we really try to do around here. But I'm telling you, as an individual, it's something that you need to learn to do. Whenever you begin to get your eyes off of Christ and you start getting your eyes on your circumstances, you start getting your eyes on the things around you, uh, man, you start getting down. One One of the ways, maybe you start getting your eyes in the way of temptation and sin, man, stop and start glorifying and lifting up Jesus. Just stop right there and if, if you know some good song that glorifies and lifts up the name of Jesus, start singing it. Quote some Bible verses. Just start praising Him and thanking Him for who He is and what He's done. Exalt Christ and that will help get things more balanced out in the way they ought to be in our lives. Uh, I encourage you to say, well, I don't feel, are you, that sounds like almost like praising the Lord. I don't feel like praising the Lord. Well, it's not about whether you feel like praising the Lord. Uh, it's a lot about, about like a lot of other things. Sometimes the, when you feel like praising the Lord the least is when you need to do it the most. And one of the, one of the great things I believe that you have to learn as a child of God, it's one of the reasons why... I do not apologize for preaching about rejoicing and praise because those things can seem so surface to people, but they are not surface because I think one of the greatest things you can learn as a child of God is to praise Him when you don't feel like it. Thank Him for saving you when you don't feel saved. I mean, what if you do wait for when you feel like praising the Lord to praise the Lord? Well, He's not going to be getting the praise that He asked for. Uh, he's not going to be uh, getting the praise that he desires. He's not going to be getting the praise that he requires. So, by the help and the grace of God, we've just got to learn just to praise Him and to thank Him, whether we feel like it or not. And I'll tell you something good. And many of you have discovered this. You may start when you first start praising the Lord. You may start off praising Him and you don't feel like it. But before you're before you're done, you'll usually feel like it. Amen. I mean, we, see, what we want to do is we get it backwards. We want to have the feeling, Lord, if, you, if you'll just move on me just right, if you'll give me the bigger goosebumps, I'll praise you, Lord. And so we sit around waiting for a feeling to praise the Lord. We've got it so wrong. What did God say? He says, enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Amen. I mean, come into those doors praising God. You know, there's, there, there's really people that come in and almost sit down and are like, okay, preacher, let's see what you can do with me tonight. Well, I can't do much with you. I'll just be honest with you. But if you come in right now and say, you know what? Praise God. He's so good. He's faithful. And if you learn to go into your day like that, folks, you'll feel like praising Him if you start praising Him. And that's how we do. You don't wait until you feel like praising God to praise God. You praise Him whether you feel like it or not. And, uh, and, and that's, that, that's giving him the preeminence in our lives. It's giving him the preeminence in our minds. I mean, looking at Colossians chapter number 1, if you can't find anything to praise him for, read Colossians 1 again. Think about him being God Almighty, the creator. Think about him dying so that you can be reconciled to God. Think about all the great things he's done for you. And it'll help us have an attitude of praising the lord man I, I really feel like that's something that we need more of in in our church i thank god for the praises we have uh, but man we can do it even more we can have more of a uh, of an attitude of gratitude on a daily basis uh, may god help us to do that but as i begin to think about this digressing thinking about this church remember this church did not just full-on turn into apostasy this church did not get up on one Sunday and have a business meeting and say, you know what, we're done with Jesus in this church. That's not what the church at Colossae did. Some false teachers came in, and those false teachers basically began to say, yeah, no, Jesus is great. Jesus is wonderful. He really is. But now he's, he's not exactly who he said he was. I mean, he, he, uh, he, he, he didn't really become a man. That's one of the things they taught. He was He he appeared to be a man, but he wasn't in actuality a man. And they basically began to bring him down from being who he was. But they still gave him a place. Sounds like religion, doesn't it? They give Jesus a place. uh, they, They may even give him a place of eminence. But Jesus isn't interested in having a place of eminence in the church. He's not interested in having a place of eminence in your life though a lot of people feel like that's good enough, he doesn't want the eminence. What does he want? Preeminence. He doesn't want to be on the pantheon. He he doesn't want to be in your life on on, uh, your Mount Olympus. There's Jesus, and there's your money, and there's your own self-desires. And there's what you want to do. And we have all these different gods that set up there and Jesus is among them. That is not the way it works. Jesus needs the preeminence. He has the preeminence. We just need to give him the preeminence in our lives. Why? Because he's the creator. He's the one. He's the head of the church. He's the one that gave his life for you and for me. But. These false teachings began to come in, and I I just thought I'd start off this evening with a couple of questions as we get into verses 21 through 23 in just a moment, but what are some things that can diminish Jesus' importance in our lives? What are some things you can think of in your life or in our lives, if you want to be general about it, that may diminish His importance in our lives? Can you think of anything? Troubles. That's right, we get our eyes on troubles, then all of a sudden we kind of lose our faith in Him, which once, one thing we learn is that He lets those troubles come in that we might draw closer to Him. But that's, that's right, yeah, troubles can diminish His importance in our lives. We start trying to work it out, figure it out. What are some other things that can diminish Jesus' importance in our lives? Jobs, work, uh, absolutely. I mean, we, we get out of whack with our way of thinking, we we forget that our job is supposed to be a ministry in and of itself and that we do that for the Lord, that your job, in a sense, is your calling. Uh, Now, that's not to say that God may not have... That doesn't say that you don't have anything else, but if if God has placed you in a job, guess what? If He's opened that door and put you there, man, that's your ministry now. Those people are people that only you are going to have the opportunity to reach. Maybe you and if there's some other Christians on the job... But you have an opportunity there. But, but that's, that's right. I mean, uh, jobs, troubles. Uh, what's some other things that can diminish Jesus' importance in our lives? Amen. Yeah, just uh, not spending the time that we need to spend with him. Uh, these are things that can diminish uh, Jesus' importance in our lives. I mean, may God help us. I mean, I, I remember hearing this going to a, what a tray you just said. I remember reading this years ago and sometimes you read something, you study something and, and it just comes across to you in a strong way. And I can remember reading the statement years ago. I was in Bible college, in fact. and But as I was reading, I just came across this phrase that just simply said, what oxygen is to the physical man, prayer is to the spiritual man. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And you know, I, I feel like that's, that, that's the way Jesus is in our lives. He ought to be our oxygen. I mean, the Bible says in Him we, we live and we move and we have our being. We need to understand that He is our all in all, that He is everything. Uh, but there are things that we face in our lives that can diminish Jesus' importance in our lives. We basically just get our eyes off of Him. We get distracted by life. Um, And we've got to live this life. It's not that you quit your job and it's not that you avoid trouble because we're going to have trouble, but it is that we find out how to keep our eyes on Jesus in the midst of all of these things. Um, So bringing it back to Colossae a little bit, here's a question. How can religion challenge Jesus' place of preeminence? How can religion challenge Jesus' place of preeminence? I'm sorry. Death. What's another example of how religion can challenge Jesus's preeminence? Yeah, you, you get into the ritual and, and we could go with, we could go with ritual and start talking about people outside of our church because we're not a ritualistic church in that sense, but I believe Kurt's also referring to us how that we get into checking off boxes and doing what we're supposed to do rather than... Remembering what, what, while we are doing what we're, we need to do. How, how else can uh, religion diminish Jesus' place of preeminence? Okay, I'll go with Hannah. Yes, works based salvation. Um, I thought you said something about workspace. I'm like, sure. Uh, works based salvation. And what did you say, Trey? Self importance. Um, absolutely. And, and, and both of those. There's something that comes into those, if it's a works-based salvation, that's, there's, you're not really saved, but you can have this self-importance thing. But I was thinking about pride. You know, so that can go to an unbeliever, but it can also go to a believer. Pride. Uh, somebody that's not saved, somebody that is saved, pride comes in sometimes with religion. And I mean... I hate to say we've all been guilty of it, and I'm not going to say that because I don't know whether or not you have been guilty of it, but I know that many of us have been guilty over being prideful over either the things that we do or the things that we don't do. And that diminishes from the, from the glory and the preeminence of Christ. When it's, when it's anything other than it's all Him, amen, then it's taken away. And I think those are some of the ways that religion, uh, there, there's many more things that could be probably said about how religion challenges the place of preeminence. I say that because as I was studying this today, I was just reminded of how these people are religious. You want to know the thing that just comes into my heart on a regular basis? One of the benefits, I'll tell you, of going through the whole Bible, and I encourage you, we're coming up on a new year, a new year, most people who start off the year to read through the Bible, I hate to say most don't do it, but many, many people do not finish. If you're one of those people, you know what? That's fine. That's done. But I want to encourage you to start again this year. And it doesn't all have to be one plan, but regardless, find a way to get into the Bible every day this year. But I'll say one of the benefits of going through the Old Testament uh, as well as the New Testament is, man, I, I, have you ever been reading the Old Testament And you start reading about these people, and God lets you know what's going on in their hearts and their minds. And these are people that are going to the temple. These are people who are making sacrifices. But God tells you what's really in their hearts. And and, and God begins to talk about their pride and how their heart's not with him and how how that they're also, man, they'll, they'll actually come to the temple and offer sacrifices, but then they'll go up to the high places and offer to idols as well and you start finding out about these people and then they'll be they'll be confronted with a prophet with the Word of God that says hey where are you at and what do they say oh no I'm good I'm at the temple I'm doing this for God I'm making this sacrifice and I don't know about you but man when I read that stuff my heart sinks because these people have tricked themselves into thinking they're doing what they need to be doing for God (laughs) and And it's just like one of those times where you really check yourself and say, Oh, Lord, please. I don't want to be sitting here thinking that I'm doing great things for God or that I'm doing something for God, and all the time I'm doing it my own energy and so forth. But, so religion can challenge uh, Jesus' place of preeminence. Um, now, what's at the heart of these problems that challenge Christ's preeminence or, or diminish His importance in our lives? What's at the heart of of these problems. It's something that we emphasize a lot because the Bible emphasizes a lot, but how can we get to a place where we allow trouble, work, um, religion, whatever else was said, uh, works-based salvation? How is it that we get to a place to where we allow these things to rob Jesus of his rightful place in our lives? Pride. Pride. Take your eyes, distractions. These are all right. But there's there's one word that I'm looking for that these fit under, I believe, and that is this, our thinking. Right? Our thinking. How is it that you get distracted by your troubles? You think on those things. What the Bible says. The Bible gives us a list in Philippians chapter 4. It says, think on these things. But we think on things that we ought not think on. Or we just don't look at things in the right perspective. You think your life is almost insignificant because you work some secular job. And you think, well, this is pointless. This isn't doing anything for eternity. My life don't matter. You know, I'm doing this job uh, that, uh, you know, is all is it's maybe some service or it's something else. But what's it really accomplishing? That's not the right mind to have. Whatever your life, I'm retired. I don't do anything for God, I just, this, that, no, no, God's put you in a place to where every one of us, I'm, I'm a young person, you know, I, one, of, one of my big pet peeves is when people tell me, oh, that the teenagers are the future, the teenagers, man, the, the youth of the church, boy, they're the church of tomorrow, I don't believe that, I believe they're the church of today. If you study the age of the disciples, man, many of those guys were really young. Really young. Uh, it's, it's almost certain that John was a teenager. God didn't come to John and say, you know, one of these days you're going to grow up. No, he said right now, serve God. Do something for God. You've been called for the purpose and with the reason. And so, uh, but, but it's, it's our thinking, all right? So, without any further delay, let's get into these verses, verses 21 through 23. We'll especially try to cover 21 and 22 tonight. The Bible says in Colossians 1, uh, verse 21, the Bible says, And you that were sometime alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. And we'll just pause right there because I don't know if I'll be able to really get to verse 23 or not. If we do, we do. But I want to come back to what I was really trying to say at the start of the message, and that is this, that the whole thing that Paul's trying to do is remind them why Jesus should be preeminent. He's God. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the head of the church. He's reconciled us. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Now he goes more into depth about what he did um, with that as well. Well, I guess since we're starting with an and there, well, we'll start with an and there too. Uh, But let's go to verse number 20 and read that as well. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself... By him I say, whether it be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So he's continuing to try to point us to what Jesus has done for us. And this verse came to my mind Isaiah 51, verse 1. I feel like this is what he's saying. In essence, Isaiah 51 verse 1 says this, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. And here's what he says, Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn. Look to the rock from which ye are hewn and to the hole of the pit from which ye are digged. Now, what's the New Testament application of that? Look to the rock, from whence you were hewn, and look to the pit from where you got dug up out of. I paraphrased at that time. You didn't notice. It's saying this. Look to the rock. Jesus is the rock. Amen. Look to Jesus and look and remember where he brought you from. Because I just got to stop and say tonight, I was thinking about this, man. Uh, I, I hope to get to this, but I probably won't. Uh, but, man, it is awesome to think about where God... It's awesome that you're here tonight. It's awesome that you're listening. It's awesome that you're hearing this message. Why? Because one of the things he talks about when he gets into verse number 23, he's talking about being steadfast and unmovable. And it's cool because one of the words he's using right there, if, you, if one of the things that we studied when we start, talked about the background of Colossae is that it was right on a major fault line and there was a major earthquake there that virtually destroyed this city not too long after this, uh this letter was written but so they were familiar with earthquakes there but one of the unmovable thing was the idea of being able to stand in the midst of an earthquake and i'm getting way ahead of myself and maybe this will just be next week anyway but i thought it was a great idea that how many times has your world been shaken i'm just asking you how many times has your world been shaken but now look where you are amen look where you are tonight you're here And maybe you're in the middle of your world being shaken again. But I want to remind you of something. Man, you're on the same rock. (laughs) I mean, you can be steadfast and unmovable because you're on him. And so look and remember what God's done in your life. And so look to the rock from which you're hewn. Look to the hole of the pit which you're digged out of. Look to Jesus Remember who He is. Remember what He's done for you, I feel, is the essence here. He talks about where, they, where we were, where they were before. He uses the word here in 21, And you that were sometime alienated. Alienated. Alienated means to be estranged. These Gentiles in Colossae were estranged from God and separated from the spiritual blessings of Israel. Uh, The gods that they worshipped were false gods, and their religious rituals could not take care of their sin or their guilt. They were at one time alienated. And is that not where we were? We were estranged from God, alienated from God. Now, how in the world does a man get to God when he's estranged from God, when he's alienated from God? kind of a trick question because a man don't really get to God when he's estranged and alienated from God. God goes to where he's at. Are you saved tonight? How are you saved? You're saved because God came to where you were. God reconciled you to himself. Amen? I mean, by grace, through faith, he reconciled you. He made, he came to you. There's a good old song that says, uh, when I could not go to where he was, he came to me. Amen. Uh, There's somebody that said it this way. Praise God how his hand can reach farther down than ours can reach up. Somebody else said Jesus built a bridge to us. Amen. He built a bridge with three nails and two pieces of wood to get to where we were. That was the only way. But he's the one that came to us. Man, that's good. We were alienated. And, but, but not only were we alienated from God, this estrangement was not only uh, a, a matter of position, it was also a matter of practices and attitudes. Notice what the Bible says also, ye were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind. Enemies in your mind by wicked works. <clears throat> it's interesting that it didn't say your enemies by your wicked works. He says, your enemy in your minds by wicked works. Because again, it starts in the mind. They were enemies in their minds, which means they were actively hostile to God. Even though they had not received a divine law, such as God gave to Israel, these Gentiles knew the truth about God through creation and conscience. And I want to pause right now because we're given a very important principle tonight and it answers the age-old question, are the heathen lost? Because remember, he's talking to a people that did not know Christ, a people that did not know the gospel, a people that more than likely did not know the Ten Commandments, didn't know anything about the God of Israel in their Gentile nation. But he's saying, you were alienated and you were enemies in your mind by wicked works. In other words, They were being held accountable for their wicked works and for their being enemies in their minds. In Romans chapter 1, verse number 19, Romans 1, 19 and 20, the Bible says, "...because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made." even as His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Who? The heathen. Because the Bible says that God has revealed it to them. God has revealed to every man, woman, boy and girl that's ever lived on this earth that there is a thing called sin. God has given a conscience to every man and that's why every culture has some moral standard. Because God has written that upon our hearts. So man knows that there must be a higher standard in God because of conscience. He goes on to say that also the heathen are able to know that there's a God because of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Creation preaches a message about God. Why do, why do, why do heathen nations go and make themselves gods to worship? Because there knows there's got to be something bigger than who they are. Now, it is important to say that a person cannot come to Christ just because their conscience testifies that there is a God, nor can a person come to Christ because creation declares that there is a God, because a person can only come to Christ upon hearing the gospel. But, and if, those that through conscience and creation will, instead of turning to a false god, say, no, I want to know who the God is that made all of this. I want to know that God, then I believe that God will make a way for that person to hear the gospel so that they may have the opportunity to be saved. But the fact of the matter is, we're not getting, this this could be a whole long Bible study in and of itself, but I'm just saying it in short that there's a principle here that the heathen are lost. See, we're talking again about the mind, aren't we? Let's get into this. When we talk about the mind, people have a hard time with the heathen being lost, do they not? But they've never heard. Oh, they've heard. They've got conscience. They've got creation. And if they will again acknowledge that, I believe that God will make a way for them to, them to hear the message. That's happened time and time again. A testimony after testimony of heathen and people that didn't know the gospel that said, "God, I know you've got to be real. I see you in creation. I feel you in in my conscience." I want to know you, and literally God will send somebody to them to where they can hear the gospel. But here's the thing. People that say, well, I don't know, what makes more sense to me, and by the way, you're kind of going off track right there right away, aren't you? What makes more sense to me is if these people haven't heard the gospel, then, man, surely God will just let them into heaven. Well, if that were the case, do you realize that we would be doing people a disservice to tell them about Christ? We'd be doing a disservice to proclaim the gospel because people would be better off not knowing. If not knowing and ignorance made you give you an automatic ticket to heaven. It would be cruel to share the good news with people. Because then they're held accountable. So you understand the reasoning of saying, oh, somebody not hearing makes them not accountable. Folks, that's not so. These people were accountable. And so It's just worth pointing out as we go through this, he's talking to a Gentile people that didn't know God, but even before they heard the gospel, they were alienated and enemies in their minds. So therefore, they could not plead ignorance before the bar of God's justice. Also, let's get into the thinking part. Enemies in their minds. Man's thinking about God has been under attack. Now, how long has man's thinking about God been under attack? (laughs) <laughs> when's the first instance of that we've, we actually have it recorded Genesis from the very beginning God I mean Eve actually knew God but Satan comes right away and challenges the way she thinks about God every one of you here tonight are challenged on a regular basis about how you think about God every one of us are that's why it's important that we're in the Word of God. See, man's thinking uh, uh, about God has been under attack since the Garden. If you wonder what happened in our great country, our great churches, and our great people, look at the attack and the conquering of people's world view. I mean, it's an amazing thing to me. When you look at, you look at the founding of this great nation... You'll find out that there was, I I, I wish I could remember, I believe it's like one in four words or one in four things that are said in every document of our founders. There's a biblical reference. The Bible was the the, the foundation. And by the way, that's why many of the founders were, before 1776, many of our founders were already abolitionists. Many of them already wanted to end slavery, the the evil practice of slavery, because they knew from the Bible that it was wrong. Even those that owned slaves understood that it had to be abolished, that it was an evil practice. It doesn't justify them having slaves the way they had them. But what I'm just simply trying to tell you is that there was a conscience, a biblical conscience in this early part of our country. Uh, Dan pointed this out to me a couple of weeks ago. It was, an int- it was just an interesting thing. And it was just, a out of all things, just bring pop culture into it a little bit. It was a, it was a final jeopardy question. And the final jeopardy question was just simply something along the lines of, uh, this man uh, went to offer his son, but God provided a lamb instead, or whatever, or ram instead. Um, and the answer, of course, is... What is Abraham? Who is Abraham? Right? All three contestants got it wrong. Generally on Jeopardy, you have some pretty intellectual people. You have people that are well-read. You have people that have uh, a lot of education. There was a time when hardly a child in our country could be asked those questions without knowing it. See, in order to get into college, by the way, kids... Uh, The expectations were different on young people back in those days. They weren't raising kids. They were raising adults. And when you were ready to take your college entrance exam at the age of 13 or 14, you would need to be able to translate the entire Greek New Testament into English, perhaps into Latin as well. And that that was the basic of what you needed to be able to do. And then here we were watching Jeopardy again the other night, and you say, what are we talking about Jeopardy for? I'm just telling you that it's an interesting thing to me how dumb these people are, some of them, when it comes to the Bible. And there was a time in our country not too long ago to where you would not be able to find an intellectual that didn't know the Bible and know it very well. But what's happened? There's been an attack on the mind, on the way of thinking. We're enemies in our minds. That's what happened. We talk about our great country, our great churches, our great people, but that's where we started at. It reminds me of uh, Benjamin Franklin when they were trying to decide the type of uh, government to have. And, uh, and then I, I wish I could remember the exact terms, so just forgive me for paraphrasing, but it said that as Benjamin Franklin was leaving uh, Constitution Hall, and and when he was asked the question, a lady asked him the question and said, Well, what form of government do we have? And he said, We have a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. If you can keep it. See, and that's what this country was based on, us keeping it. But what we've encountered over the the centuries, especially over the last 100 years, there's been a true cultural Marxism that's crept into our country, changed the way people think, number one, think about God, and then just from there, it's gone awry. But it goes back to the way people's thinking. It affects the home. Folks, and it really is in this order, this church will not be great if I can somehow manage to be a great preacher, that will not make this church a great church. If I can manage to be a great preacher, that could maybe help me to be a great preacher, but that doesn't make this a great church. What's going to make this a great church and what does make this a great church is great homes, great individuals. See, it's not about what. Well, what's being preached up here is important. But if what's being preached up here isn't being lived out there, It's irrelevant. See, there needs not to be much of a gap between what we know and what we do. There really shouldn't be much of a gap at all between what we know and what we do. But that's where we've gotten to in our country. So, enemies in our minds. And, of course, the context there is before we were saved. But you think about this. People, including ourselves, we resist Mankind resists the revealed truth of God with all the power of their minds, right down to either the moment of salvation or the moment of death. Even after a person is saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, old errors die hard. Divine truth is distorted, deluded, or denied. Think about that. That's what man does so often with God's truth. Either distorts it, dilutes it, or denies it. How easy it is. Think about our minds. Let me ask you this question. What do you memorize or what what sticks in your mind easier? An inappropriate thought or scene or a verse of Scripture? Which easier catches your mind? Isn't it often the things that are inappropriate rather than the principles of purity? Why? Because we are bent. Our minds are uh, in, in such a way to where we need the power of the Holy Spirit of God to work in our minds. And so we need to be aware of the power of sin and we need to be aware about what we're thinking. The enmity of their minds, as we read there, verse 21, you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So being enemies in their mind led them to wicked works. Both attitude and action. They were at war with God. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 7, that the carnal mind is at enmity against God. And that's why when we're saved, that's why repentance is important. That means why after we're saved, repentance is important. What is repentance? It's a change of mind. It's a change of mind. It's a change of mind that results in a change of actions. So may the Lord help us to be careful about the way we think because the way we think leads to sin. Chad said it uh, during uh, what he his... Thoughts he had to share with us. He's, he mentioned the sin of omission. See, sometimes Christians can get high and mighty about all the things that we don't do. But sometimes that's the problem. <laughs> we get so excited and proud about what we don't do. But sometimes you got to stop and ask the question, well, what are we doing? Are we doing what we need to be doing? I want to close with this, uh, this little illustration about sin to be that we need to be Uh, mindful of about guarding our thoughts to keep us from sin sin is the most destructive force in the universe it debases us and ruins us when the great great artist Leonardo da Vinci decided to paint what became his masterpiece The Last Supper he sought for a long time to find a man whom he could use as a model for the picture of Christ he finally found a man A young man named uh, Pietro Bandellanini, singing in one of the choirs of Rome. He hired him to sit for him as he immortalized his face as the face of Christ. So, Pietro Bandellanini, I'm going to say that last name different every time, so just beware. Okay? Singing in a choir in Rome and just said, That's the guy. That's the perfect man. I think he embodies what Christ should, what I imagine Christ looking like. That's what that man looks like. Some years passed. Much of the painting was finished. But still the artist lacked for a suitable model for which he could paint as Judas Iscariot. Someone whose features bore the indelible marks of sin. Finally he found a a, a man, a beggar on the street, but a very uh, evil looking man, a man that looked like maybe a thief, and you just better watch when you're around him. You know, you get that uneasy feeling. He had a very villainous countenance, this man. He was exactly suited to portray the face of Judas. So he hired the man who sat while the artist transferred his features to the face of Judas on the canvas. When he was finished, and as he paid the man for his service, he said, by the way, what is your name? This man replied, My name is Pietro Bandinelli. It was the same man. The same man. Sin had left its mark on this man. This man at one time embodied what he, Da Vinci, imagined would be a picture of Christ. Years went by, this man fell into sin, and now the same man embodies what he imagines Judas looking like. See, sin debases character. Ruins lives. Sin makes us enemies and aliens from God. And all that lay between uh, the man with the face of Jesus and the man with the face of Judas was a few short years of sin. sin. Sin's rough on you, ain't it? Sin's rough on people, man. Sin alienates us from God mentally and morally, but still God's love reaches out to us. His Holy Spirit brings us His Word to bear upon our, conscious, our consciousness. He shines the light of the gospel into our darkened minds. He lets us see how great the ravages of that sin have wrought in us and how greatly we need to be reconciled to God and He will reconcile us to God. So we've got to be sure that we keep our minds, protect the way we're thinking. We were once, we were once alienated We were enemies by our minds and which led to wicked works. Now those are, talk about our past state, but again, there's principles there that can help us through our current state and challenges as well. Amen. Guard your mind. Learn to control what you're thinking because I'm telling you, our sin, that's where it's at. It's with what you're thinking. There's a reason uh, that I started off this this. Uh, study tonight, reminding us of putting Jesus first, praising Him, thanking Him for who He is, what He's done, what He's done in general, what He's done for us specifically, what He's still doing for us. Amen. And so um, we'll uh, we'll just we'll call it a close right there. The the middle there because I kind of went all over the place there. And I swear I feel like I've been up here 15 minutes, but that ain't what you feel like. Uh, Amen. All right. But listen, praise God. I'm glad that he's good, aren't you? And uh, listen, may God help us to give him the preeminence. Practice it, okay? Here's here's a good test, a good, good chance for you tonight, okay, as we all stand. And we'll be dismissed in just a moment. Here's a good chance for you. We talked about, okay, how is the gap between what you know and how you're living? Okay? Now, let's get a practical application to that tonight. What you know now is that you should be praising the Lord. You should be exalting Christ. Okay? So now that's your knowledge. Now, what is going to be the gap for you tonight and tomorrow between what you know and what you do? In other words, can you put into practice now, you know what? When my mind starts going all these other ways and getting distracted, I'm going to stop and say, wait, 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 wait. God has blessed us with amazing things. I've said it so many times. You can only think one thought at a time. I'm going to stop thinking about this for a moment. And I'm just going to think about how good God is. And Jesus, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for saving me. I want to thank you for just being the great God that you are. I want to thank you for your creation. Can you do that? Really? Do it. I mean, just go over and over and just start thinking and rehearsing about all the great things He's done. I know it's past Thanksgiving, people, but you can still count your blessings. And you can think Him. Do it. Try it. When you start getting distracted, when you start getting down, when you start getting tempted, start thanking Him for who He is. And, uh, man, I t- I t- I've told it many, many times, but I'll just tell it again today. There is no way that I would be standing here before you in my marriage, and in the ministry, if I hadn't learned to praise the Lord. Amen. That's right. I wouldn't be here. That's right. I just, I, there's no way I'd be here. That The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength, yes. and I'm telling you, that's why I believe by God's grace and His keeping power, it's got to do with that. I just can't imagine otherwise. Amen? Amen.